Welcome, everyone, to the Jordan Cooter Show, Episode 1. I am your host, the St. Bernard Stud, the Cincinnati hero, the distinguished Jordan Cooter, along with my co-host, the GOAT, the mighty Mount Healthy Knight, the man who, as soon as you think you have all the answers, he changes the questions. Mean G, Alex Glick. Alex, brother, we got us a good show. The O'Holy One, Big Country, Clark Wilhoyt, the WWE producer himself, will join us from the... Join us on the show live from Cincinnati, Ohio, as Big Clark is in between WWE shows right now as he just came from Monday Night Raw live from beautiful Madison Square Garden in New York City for a mysterious 20-year anniversary before Clark heads off to SmackDown on Friday in Atlanta, Georgia, and then in Nashville, Tennessee in beautiful Nissan Stadium in WWE SummerSlam where he'll, he'll see my boy Pat McAfee. He's going to talk WWE with me and GNI as well, talk about his story from becoming a Division I lineman at Western Carolina University to coach at Western Carolina to WWE producer. Glick, I'm excited for this one. How about you? But I'm sorry. I just have to know. Why are we doing this? Mean G, what can I say? The Earl College baseball team was in Lynchburg, Virginia. We took our losses. I got on the bus and I got to the hotel. I called my buddy, Ben. He said, I said, Ben, brother, it's over. I got drunk at the hotel, had five Jaeger bombs, had a couple shots of whiskey, a couple shots of tequila, some more whiskey, some more tequila, and even a Bloody Mary. I woke up the next day. I was very drunk still. I said, it's over. I called my non-existent girlfriend. She said, get home. It's over. I called my good buddy, Zach. He said, Jordan, brother, get to Wichita. It's over. I hopped back on the bus. I got back to campus. I said, it's over. I talked to my dog, Sweet. She said, give me a treat. It's over. I hopped on the plane to Wichita. I sat down. The flight attendant said, what do you want, Mr. Critter? And I said, hell, I want to make a podcast in Wichita, Kansas. And that's what I did. But before we get into any big business, I got to introduce this man himself. He is from Cincinnati, Ohio. Standing in that astonishing six feet and eight inches tall, weighing in at 335 pounds. He is big country, the OG, Clark Wilhoyt. Clark, welcome to the show, brother. Jordan, Alex, guys, I honestly cannot thank you enough for the opportunity to be the number one guest on this podcast. And obviously, number one stands for the best. So obviously, I have to thank you all again, for letting me be a part of this journey and hopefully turning this podcast into the next big thing, bigger than hopefully Pat McAfee's show on Twitter and hopefully bigger than the, than the Joe Rogan show. So guys, once again, thank you so much for the opportunity to come on and speak with you guys today. Hey, we appreciate it, Clark. This is big for our show. We knew as soon as this podcast was being made, nobody, nobody else could be on episode number one except for the OG big country, Clark <laughs> Wilhoyt and Clark. I'm glad to have you here. Uh, man, I, how's this week been for you? You just, you just got out of Madison Square Garden in New York City for a very mysterious 20-year anniversary. Uh, how was that, man? Uh, Madison Square Garden, that's one of the most historical, uh, historical venues in the world. I'm glad you got to be a part of it, man. Tell us all about that show. Madison Square Garden, the, if one, one of the, if not the most historical arenas in a, probably, I would say, United States history. Um, and just to start off, this is a this is a really funny story. So back when I used to work for CBS, um, when I lived in New York City, um, I actually distinctly remember walking by Madison Square Garden one night. Um, I, I believe there was a Knicks game going on um, or a New York Rangers game, whatever it was. 
but I distinctly remember walking by Madison Square Garden, walking by those TV trucks and thinking to myself, man, it would be incredible to be able to work here one day, to be able to, you know, to work if it was with it was sports, if it was with wrestling, if it was with whatever it was, it would be amazing to work in America's most iconic and most historic stadium. And to be able to be a part of Rey Mysterio's 20th anniversary and be in Madison Square Garden in the heart of Manhattan. I mean, it was, it's honestly one of the coolest experiences I've I've ever gotten to be a part of. Um, Ray himself, um, I met with him a couple times. We had a couple shots with him that I helped produce. And I mean, Ray himself was a great guy, um, super down to earth individual, but Overall, man, I mean, I just, it's probably one of the coolest and one of the most surreal moments of my professional career, even starting out only at 23 years old. So I can say without a doubt that it was, man, one of the coolest experiences I've ever gotten to be a part of, and honestly, probably will ever be a part of with my time at WWE and probably my entire professional career. Yeah, how how was that crowd in New York City? They're known to be one of the, the most hostile, one of the most electric fans in a not not just WWE but professional wrestling in general. I know WWE's basically owned Madison Square Garden, but uh, I know a couple of years ago they had the New Japan Ring of Honor uh, Super Show that sold out, and man, that crowd was loud. But I saw I saw Madison Square Garden was sold out for Monday Night Raw. It's headlined by Roman Reigns, Austin Theory. Well, doesn't go by Austin Theory, but just Theory now, and the Usos. Man, how how was that? How was the vibe that night? Because that building was sold out and. Uh, I, I know WWE uh, is probably going to be doing a reboot soon here, but uh, that 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 crowd, man, 20,000 people on their feet, to get, to take us through that, man. That, that's got to be a wonderful experience to go through. A sold-out Madison Square Garden. I mean, again, just one of the most incredible, just a bucket list moment. Um, so primarily, I'm normally backstage um, during a lot of the show because a lot of the stuff that um, – that is produced on television and also, you know, live at the venue. It's a lot of, it's, it's backstage. It takes place during the show. That's why, you know, we, we've got the little thing up on the, up in the top left, top right corner that says WWE live. So normally I'm behind the scenes, but there were a couple instances where I was able to sneak out onto the floor and to look out, you know, back behind our, our big Tron where all the uh, superstars come out of, to be able to walk out from behind that, look at a sold out crowd of 20,000 people in New York City. I mean, it's it, it, it's honestly awe-inspiring, you know, and I, I know New York itself, it's a, it, it's a whole different sort of, you know, quote unquote vibe. And there's that stereotypical, you know, oh, it's a New Yorker. Oh, I'm walking here, this kind of thing. But that crowd, I mean, Again, I've I've played Division One college football. I've been in in NFL stadiums working, but again, Madison Square Garden sold out. Rey Mysterio's twentieth anniversary. I mean, it's. I mean, I right, right now talking about it again. I've, I've got goosebumps. I mean, it was you couldn't you couldn't hear yourself think in that arena. I mean, people were going nuts. People were they were cheering. They were crying. There was you know laughter. <laughs> I mean, there was almost every single emotion that you could think was going on in that arena. And just, again, all inspiring moment, honestly. 
Yeah, that, that's great to hear. Uh, Glick, you're up, yeah, buddy. That was uh, that is pretty interesting that you uh, kind of mentioned like the vibe of the city and all that. Because one of the questions that I had was with you traveling so much, I was kind of wondering. I know you didn't start uh, like that long ago, but I was wondering if you had any opinion on like which cities you've been to that are good, which cities that you've been to that are bad. Are there any that are your favorite? Are there any like good stories that mark any of those cities for you? So I would probably say, um, man, um, I'd probably say Chicago. Um, that was a really, that was a great city. We did uh, Money in the Bank, in, or no, excuse me, we did um, uh, Hell in a Cell in Chicago. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, Hell in a Cell in Chicago, and that was the um, that that was the first time I was able to help produce the kickoff show. So we had um, we had uh, Booker T. Caleb Braxton, Kevin Patrick, and then um, Peter, I, I can't remember his last name. He's a, he's a contributor for um, WWE. He comes for the, for the pay-per-views. We now call them premium live events. But that was the first uh, pay-per-view premium live event that I was able to help be a part of. And that was when I helped do the kickoff show. So that, you know, basically it's like a kind of like an NFL pre-show. You know, there's a stu- back in the studio but with here with WWE, we do it live all together itself. So that I, so I think that the most two of the most memorable memorable cities are Chicago, just because that was my first um, kickoff show for the premium live event. But then also probably I mean it's got to be New York City. I mean hell, it's it, it's New York City, it's Manhattan, Madison Square Garden, and then to put on top of that, it's Mary Mercedes' twentieth anniversary. So it's just I, I think that those would be my two my two biggest cities but then i would say that probably detroit um and I, and, I, and i'll say detroit just for the sole fact that, that that was my first show that i ever worked for wwe so detroit michigan itself has a lot of symbolism and, and you know and a lot of meaning to me just because that was where i did my very first show um but if i had to break it down into the coolest um i'd probably say san diego california um we were in san diego uh, earlier this month, uh, July 4th, but that was really symbolic to me just because that's the farthest west that I've ever traveled. Uh, first time in New, in, um, in San, or excuse me, in California. So being a part of California, being a part of that premium live event for Hell in a Cell, and then for honestly Madison Square Garden, if one of the, if not the most iconic arenas in the world, in America, um, that those would be my top three right now. Yeah, you mentioned Detroit, how that was your first show. Uh, was that a Raw, a SmackDown, or was it a taping or a house show by chance? It was a Raw. Um, it was my first Monday Night Raw. Um, I actually got the opportunity to meet Vince McMahon, um, shook his hand, uh, met a lot of met a lot of talent, superstars, met a lot of the uh, a lot of the crew, met the director, the executive producer. So that was that was the kind of come to Jesus moment for me just because it was I'm so used to working in in the sports aspect and don't get me wrong wrestling is absolutely a, it, 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 it's a sport I mean these superstars I mean these guys are in just absolute tip-top shape but I'm used to working in, in a football setting college NFL um, and then I, I did baseball but this was a whole different aspect of television it's it's sports it's entertainment and it's all intertwined and in together and so that was my, well, wow, holy shit, 
this is how WWE is. This is what they do. This is how they operate. So that itself was another learning opportunity for me and another opportunity for me to grow as an individual just for, you know, professional development and to better understand what I was going to be doing as well as what the expectations were for my role in my position. Yeah. So take us through that, uh, that first day, uh, did you, were you nervous because you knowing you for the last uh, six or seven years, I would say you, you've never given off that vibe to be a nervous uh, person or a type of guy who's nervous, uh, meeting Vince McMahon, one of the most prominent figures in WWE history, that, that man has m made wrestling what it is today. Uh, man, can you, can you just take us through like the emotions you were feeling going into that? Cause it, it was your first day and you previously have done work with CBS, but man, WWE is a whole different story. That's a, that, that's a story of its own. Uh, can you just take us through that, man? I, I want to hear all about it. It's a whole different beast. Um, I, 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 this will be something that I never forget. So, so my boss, um, the coordinating producer, he sent me an email. I, I was sitting in, I was sitting at dinner with my girlfriend and you know, the, the my, my start date was still kind of up in the air because they were trying to figure out when it would be a good time to get me integrated. We were just coming off WrestleMania and I was hired before WrestleMania but they didn't want to bring me into WrestleMania to start because that's, you know, WrestleMania, it's the biggest event that, that, that we do as a whole. So they didn't, they didn't want to do me the disservice of bringing me in early and, you know, seeing how WrestleMania was compared to a Raw, a SmackDown, or a premium live event. Um, but I remember getting that email when I was at dinner and, it, you know, it, it, it said you're going to be traveling to Detroit. It's going to be Monday Night Raw you know, here's your flight information. Here's the, the, our travel agents information. Get in excuse me, get in contact with her. She'll tell you what to do, everything. So I got in contact with her. She set my flight up, uh, flew from Cincinnati to Detroit. We stayed in a Westin in Detroit. Um, I was on the 37th floor. I uh, had a, I had a king bed suite. One of the cool, I mean, it was super cool because I opened my window shades I'm overlooking the city of Detroit. I can see the, the Tiger Stadium. Just emotions were running wild. Now, I will say without a doubt, I was terrified. Um, I, I was jumping off of the edge, and this is an edge that I, that I wasn't familiar with. I mean, it was something that wrestling, I, I went from basically zero to 100. I, I mean, and, and even in my interview process to get the job, I was very transparent and I, you know, I said, you know, guys, I don't, I couldn't tell you the first thing about wrestling. Obviously, besides John Cena, Brock Lesnar, Triple H, The Undertaker, some of the most prominent members and some of the most prominent superstars ever to be a part of WWE, I didn't know anything else. And, you know, and, I, and I was very honest about that. I was very open, very upfront. And to walk in to WWE, not knowing very much, but knowing enough, but not, not very much, to we're in month six now, from going from knowing nothing to understanding the storylines, understanding the plots, understanding you know the baby faces who are, quote unquote, the good guys, understanding the heels, quote unquote, who are the bad guys. Um, it's just, it, it was a whirlwind of emotions. And it was a whirlwind of thoughts for me because it's, it's very fast paced. It's done a certain way. Um, and it's <laughs> it just overall, it was, I mean, I was just terrified. 
And that's about the only way that I can put it. And it's just because, I, like I said earlier, I'm taking a step off that cliff to the unknown. But I can say six months into it, taking that step off the cliff of the unknown is one of the best decisions I've ever made. I mean, ever, ever made in my life and in my professional career. But that day itself, um, it, it, I mean, <laughs> again, terrifying. I had no idea what was going on. I had absolutely no idea what to do, what to say, what, you know, how to move, where to go. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> but that was, that was how I learned. Um, you know, th- it was, here's the fire. You're going to be thrown into it. Good luck. And we're going to see if you sink or you swim. And I think that that's a really, really good way to judge character in, in, in the sense of someone who's working for a company, um, you know, it's, it's, are you going to freak out? Are you going to be like, Oh my God, Oh my God, what's going on? How, um, holy shit, I don't know what I'm doing. Or are you going to ask, ask those questions, understand how to do your job, watch, learn. And that's what I did for the first three months. I mean, I didn't even get the opportunity to do anything besides stand there, watch, listen and ask questions for the first two, you know, month, month and a half, two months. Um, And that was, that was what I did in Detroit. I sat there or I stood there, I should say. I watched, I asked questions. How do you do this? Why are you doing it this way? How, you know, how do you do this? Why did you do it this way? Not this way. Because working for both ESPN, CBS, and now WWE, ESPN has their own way of doing things. CBS has their own way of doing things. And WWE have their own things, have their own way of doing things. So it was, again, it was that learning curve. But that first day in Detroit was filled with questions, filled with observing, watching, and meeting all the right people. I met Vince. I met our executive producer, Kevin Dunn. I met both my bosses. I met the rest of the team. I met the props. I met uh, you know, I catering, I met all the writers, everybody, everybody that needed to be met was met that day. And that was the day that it, it was the first impression day. It was okay. Here's Clark Wilhoyt. Who's this kid? What's he going to do? Is he worth a shit? Is he worth anything? Or is he, is he and, and like I said earlier, is he going to sink or is he going to float? And, you know, I prominently can say that I feel like I'm floating <laughs> because I'm still here and I haven't been fired yet or, you know, I haven't been fired, haven't been taking any disciplinary action against me. So I, I, I think that I can say that uh, that I'm currently floating. Yeah, I, ho- I hope to never see WWE tweet out uh, breaking Clark Wilhoyt has been suspended 30 days for violating our policies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Jordan, me and you both. <laughs> yeah, seems like not being fired is a pretty good benchmark for uh well, yeah you know yeah first first three months you know first three months it, it, it was that you know kind of trial period of is this going to work do we like you do you like us and i mean in the six months i've been there i mean i've already made connections and i've already made friends that i know that will last a lifetime without a doubt yeah and i was also i was wondering because you you kind of spoke about like your first day and all that, but I was wondering, just knowing you, I never really thought you'd be, I don't know, working for WWE at all. So I was wondering, like, how did that come about? Like, how did you end up finding this job or they found you, whichever one? Well, Glick, well, you know, to be completely honest with you, Glick, man, I never, ever saw myself working in wrestling either. 
um, this was something that kind of fell in my lap, um, believe it or not. Um, so just to kind of, um, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of jump the gun here, just to kind of give like a little bit of a backstory. And then Jordan and Alex, if you guys want to get into it more, more than happy to tell you about my journey and everything. Um, but I was currently, uh, were previously employed by CBS Sports. Um, I was a broadcast associate, worked as a researcher, and I did some graphics, lived in Long Island. So I would commute um, from Long Island to CBS on 57th Street in Manhattan. And I would work, um, but I was the lowest of the low on the totem pole. And I was working there during the NFL season. So we're in the height of COVID. Um, and this is when Omicron came out. And with me being one of the lowest people on the totem pole, I was deemed, unfortunately, not essential. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure that everybody knows what that means by now. I'm personally tired of hearing, the, you know, uh, hearing that term non-essential over the years with COVID, but also just in my situation. Um, and I was, unfortunately, I, I was laid off. Um, the, you know, they said that it's down to a central staff only for CBS and, you know, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. No, oh, okay. You know, thanks. It's, uh, you know, I appreciate the time. So I packed up and I came back to Cincinnati and I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I, I was kind of at the lowest point of my life. I really had no clue what was going to happen because CBS was my dream. Um, my mom worked for CBS. My, my mentor currently works for CBS. Um, I, I know so many people who work for CBS. I mean, I, even when I was in high school, I would work Bengals games. I would work Colts games. I did March Madness games. I worked uh, UC games, Xavier games all in the hopes of, you know, working for CBS one day. And I got that opportunity, but then unfortunately COVID came on the cron and I no longer was employed. Well, I came back to Cincinnati from, from Long Island and I worked a bouncing gig, uh, worked at a local club here. And I, I was applying for everything. I mean, it, anything television related. I applied to all the news stations here. I applied to Fox, you know, Fox Sports, CNN, ABC, uh, NBC Sports, you know, uh, almost any, any platform that you can really think of, I, I was applying to. Um, I had a couple of close calls with HBO, with Turner Sports, with Warner Media, um, that unfortunately, you know, I was down to like the, one of the top three candidates and I didn't get selected. Um, I, with MLB Network, I was unfortunately not selected for a couple of jobs that I applied for. And it, it was just really one of those situations where I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to ever get back into TV. And I, again, a moment that I will never forget. I was sitting in the Cincinnati airport. Um, I was going to visit my mom. I was sitting in CVG and I was going to fly. I was flying to Detroit and then Detroit to Greensboro is where she lives. And I'm sitting in the B terminal at gate 21. And I get this message on LinkedIn and, you know, on LinkedIn, if people are, if you guys are familiar with it and the audience is familiar with it, you can put open to work or I'm hiring, or you can just leave your, your profile picture blank. Well, I'd switched mine to I'm open to work. So I was looking for a job and it was a senior recruiter from the, the, the from the, the WWE. And I was like, Oh, wow. The WWE. Okay. And I, I read the message and it was, you know, I, your, your profile is great. You have great experience. You're, you seem like you'd be the kind of guy that we would want to hire for, for, to be a part of the WWE. 
here's the job description. You know, we've got a couple job openings. How would you feel about having a phone call? And I, you know, I emailed her back immediately and I was, you know, absolutely. Let's, let's please, let's set up a conversation. Let's please set up a call. <laughs> I'd love to have the conversation. And I, I was supposed to spend that time with my mom, but it actually wound up being, I spent the next two days talking with um, a senior recruiter and then the head of HR to get me in the interview process. Um, so kind of, so in short, um, Duck Man, I was contacted by a recruiter. And then through that, I went through HR. HR got me set up. And then I interviewed with uh, three coordinating producers, two or all three of my bosses. And then who one who currently, he's the executive producer for NXT on Tuesdays. And the other, um, he does, he is, I, I report directly to him, but he does the A&E documentaries and all the stuff for A&E now because A&E, they've bought rights from WWE to air some of our stuff, put up documentaries and such like that. And then the other one, he's the, um, he's the head floor manager. So he is working directly with our executive producer, um, working with talent, telling them what to do, working with the announcers like Michael Cole, Pat McAfee, Byron, um, and just and, and all, the, all the announcers. So it was, a, it, it was a great interview process. Um, I, I interviewed with all three of them. Um, I, I, I guess left a great impression with all three of them because I'm, you know, I'm working with, a, with the WWE now, um, worked with, or talked to all three of them. Then the, the next day I talked to the vice president of global, uh, global broadcasting logistics. So he's the, he's the head honcho. Um, talked to him. I, I interviewed with him. And then uh, two days later, I was I got back um, from, from from a trip. I was actually in, in Florida at that time because um, I went to see my mom and then we went down to Florida and I we were supposed to be on vacation. <laughs> me, me and my girlfriend, we were supposed to be on vacation. And I actually wound up being the entire time that, I, that we were in Florida, supposed to be on the beach, getting tan, you know, having some margaritas, having some drinks. I was actually going through this entire interview process. <laughs> so it was uh, kind of a, kind of a waste vacation but it, it but it, it worked out in the better because we we flew home and then um later that day about four o'clock i got the call from my senior recruiter and she formally offered me the job um so it was it it, it was a thing where it fell in my lap but you know to put that out to the audience that having an updated resume having you know a linkedin profile having those things that network and those things that allow yourself opportunities, it's great to have. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Michael Cole and Pat McAfee and everyone else that's been involved with WWE. I, I want to get to that. But first, before I do anything, I want to get a, take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. I want to say thank you to Skippy's Chicken. They've been a great sponsor for this show. One of my favorite restaurants to go to. The staff is always friendly and make amazing chicken so much so that it has had me skipping. I would like to take a moment to thank the Hallway Hockey League, the most explosive, hard-hitting, fan-engaging, entertaining hockey league in the world. It's the HHL, a league for the fans. And hey, you, yeah, you listening, I'm looking at you right now. You can become the ultimate Jordan Couture Show fan by hitting that like and subscribe button on our YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcast page. Give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram and head to our website and subscribe to our weekly newsletter on our website at www.thejordancootershow.com. All you need to do is head to the bottom of our page and enter your email and you'll receive 
weekly newsletters that will keep you up to date on upcoming episodes, future merchandise options for purchase, and we will keep you up to date on upcoming projects that are led by Jordan and Alex themselves. Welcome back to the Jordan Cooter Show, episode one. Back here with Clark Wilhoyt. OG Clark Wilhoyt, big country. Clark, I got to know, man, how is the environment working with those guys? I mean, you got Pat McAfee, you got Michael Cole. Uh, that, that's got, you got Austin Theory, man. That, that's just got to be a great working environment. The environment itself, man. I mean, it's, it's you know, not to, not to cover this word out, but it, it's definitely, it's just, it's just a vibe. Um, I, kind of, again, just to kind of, you know, talk about my, my past and my previous experiences. I've gotten to work with, or excuse me, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of, you know, quote unquote, famous people, a lot of well-known individuals in the sports world, um, players, players, coaches, announcers, directors, producers, um, kind of just everybody in that sense. But these guys, I mean, honestly, I mean, it's, they're so cool. Um, it's, these guys are so down to earth. I mean, like I've told you this personally, like, like big Otis, right. He doesn't, he knows what my name is, but he calls me big daddy. And I'll call him Big Daddy. You know, it's, you know, every time we see each other on Monday, you know, what's up, Big Daddy? Oh, Big Daddy, it's hot outside. Oh, Big Daddy, I know it's hot. It's blazing. It's horrible, terrible. But it's like, those are the kind of relationships that um, that I have the opportunity to build. Um, because it's, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's, you know, I'm a human and, and, and they're human. And as, as much as, you know, Roman Reigns, I mean, he's the undisputed WWE champion. But as much as he's the champion and, and the biggest player in WWE, or just as, you know, take Zion Quinn at NXT, take him. These, you know, both of them are the most down-to-earth, humble individuals who, you know, it, this is their job. I mean, it's how, I mean, I've got a cool job, but think, but think about the, on the flip side. How cool is it to be, you know, 20-some-odd years old you know, as a, you know, as working for the, for the WWE, but also being 20 some odd years old, working for the WWE as a superstar. And it's this, the whole vibe and the whole atmosphere. It's, it's such a family because I mean, and, and this is something that I didn't even think about until a couple months in is that I'm with the superstars. I'm with my team. I'm, I'm with, the whole road crew, you know, not only just the, the production crew, but the, the, the props, the pyro, the audio, the stage hands, the, excuse me, the, the director, the executive producer, the tape guys, the augmented reality guy. I mean, just all these people. And it's such a family atmosphere because these people really do become family because you see each other three, three, four times a week, you know, Monday Night Raw. NXT Tuesdays, right? I'd smack down. And then every kind of, you know, and every time we have a, a premium live event, it's the atmosphere working for the WWE is extremely family oriented. And, you know, I know that almost every single workplace in the entire world, oh, we're a family. We're a family. You know, uh, we, we do this, we do that. You know, we're, we're just a big family around here. But I can honestly say that of all the places that I've worked, you know, in, in my career, that WWE, without a doubt, undisputed, is the most family-oriented company that I've ever worked for. Just because 
we see each other so much. We know each other's families. We know each other's family situations, you know, with, and, and it just kind of, it's a big melting pot of everything. Because when you work for a company like WWE, every single part from the janitors to Vince McMahon, they have to mesh, if that makes sense. Because there's so much that goes into live television itself, but there's even more that goes into entertainment and into sports. And when you have sports entertainment television, there's just so many aspects that have to mesh well. And if there's one rotten egg in the bunch, it's going to make the entire carton smell. And, you know, I've seen that firsthand. There have been some people who have, they've not meshed well and, you know, they, they're no longer with us. But, you know, with myself, I've known you guys for six, seven years. I'm a pretty easy guy to, you know, mesh with. And I think that that can speak volumes on if you're easy to, to get along with and you can mesh and you're just an overall nice person, you'll be fine in WWE. But overall, again, it's a big melting pot because we have people from all over the country. We have people who, you know, from every single political background, from every single religious background, from every single, you know, I mean, I don't even know what else there is, <laughs> but it's just all these categories. There's just a checkbox, you know, is there somebody like this? Yep. Somebody like this. Yep. Somebody like this. Yes. And to come together to mesh and to be able to work three days a week, three shows a week, travel five days a week with each other. We see each other in the airports, on the planes, on the hotels, in the venue, post-show, everything. I mean, it, it's just it's just a big family-oriented environment. Yeah, you, you said uh, everyone has to everyone has to mesh for it to all work well. Can can you take us through uh, a a typical day like uh, in production of uh, WWE, like how you get everything to fall into place? Because uh, Monday Night Raw, that's three hours. You got a lot of time to fill. It's not like SmackDown or NXT where you have less time, so you don't have to do as much filler time. So if, if everyone's not playing their part, I'm sure I'm sure the show doesn't run smoothly. No, totally. And it's, you know, so kind of a typical day, um, uh, you know, so like say for for Friday, so we're, we're SmackDown, it's going to be in Atlanta. So I'll tell you kind of through like how that's going to play out. So tomorrow I'm, I'm leaving at 1.30. Um, I'm going to land in Atlanta about 3.30. I'll take an Uber to the hotel, then I'll be able to get some dinner, probably work out, walk around Atlanta, you know, because that's just something that I like to do is that when I get to a city, if it's not too late, then, you know, I love to walk around, get myself oriented. Um, if it's a historical site, go see the historical site and just kind of get myself more familiar, walk around, see what the area has to offer. Um, <laughs> kind of like you said in the beginning. I'm about 335, 3:40. Don't, you know, don't tell anybody. <laughs> but I love to eat. And so, you know, I love to walk around. I love to go see what's around culturally. I love to see what's there, you know, food, see what, you know, all the ethnicity options that, that are there. So then I'll have dinner, um, walk back to my hotel. Um, I like to go to sleep early. Uh, <laughs> my bedtime is about nine, 10 o'clock at night, <laughs> just because sleep on the road, uh, it's kind of very hard to come by because we're in a new hotel, new city every single week three different cities every single week. So sometimes you jet lag, time zone changes, it, it can get pretty difficult. Um, but for Atlanta, you know, I'll eat dinner, go back to the hotel, uh, maybe work out again if I eat too much, <laughs> but then I'll take a shower, go to bed, wake up, um, then we'll have our certain call times. So then hop in the car with a couple of my uh, colleagues, we'll drive to the venue, 
then I'll get myself oriented. You know, where's everything? Where's the set? Where's, you know, our office? Where's the producer's room? Where's the writer's room? Just to get myself more oriented to understand if somebody was to ask a question, you know, hey, where's this? Where's that? Can you show me where this is? Oh, yep, follow me right over here. Get myself oriented. Um, and then I'll kind of just, then it's just kind of a hurry up and wait type of deal. Uh, live television is is live television. And that's about, you know, that's the, 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 the best um, description that I can give it is just because it's just a hurry up and wait game. Um, where we just wait until talent shows up. Um, and once talent's there, the, the writers deal with the, the talent and then we try to get stuff um, pre-taped. So we'll do some scenes um, if we can. We'll, we'll, we'll pre-tape those scenes and you know, we'll have them ready for whatever that's supposed to be aired in a show. Um, but then other than that, it's just, it, it's really just, it's just kind of wait around, wait to see what needs to be done. Um, what can we do? How can we do it to the most effective way, the most efficient way that, that we can do it? How does it fit into the show? And then if, if we don't have any pre-tapes, then we just, we, we see the show we understand what's going to happen. We understand what's expected of us. We, you know, we, we have the production meeting. We understand what's going to happen. And then from there, we leave the production meeting and then the, and then the show starts and it's, it's boom, 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 bang, 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 go, go, go. Um, it's, uh, I've kind of made the, um, the comparison with, it's just like playing any kind of like sport is that it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing okay, now we're warming up, now we're warming up, we're doing stretches, we're doing layup lines, now we're running through plays, and then boom, there's tip-off, here's the game, there's no room for error, because now we've got two-plus million people tuning in on USA Network for Monday Night Raw, NXT, or on Fox for um, Friday Night SmackDown, or for a pay-per-view event. So it's, it, it's a game of hurry up and wait, but during that game of hurry up and wait, you've got to be able to always be on your toes. You always have to listen because when you have that headset on, you've got 10 to 15 people always talking. They're always talking about something. And you have to be able to decipher, is that one thing particularly pertain to you or is it pertain to a different department? And that's the thing that I'm still becoming better at is, okay, who's talking? What are they saying? What are they talking about? And then does this pertain to me? Yes. Okay, great. Let's jot this down. No. Okay, great. We'll wait for somebody else to start talking about it. You know, something that pertains to me. Yeah. So uh, I think that was really nice. Just getting a nice little like deep dive into what it's like at WWE and what you've done here so far. But obviously me and Jordan know you pretty well, but not everybody that's listening to this, I think, would know you pretty well. So I was wondering if maybe you want to do uh, take a nice little trip to the past, maybe tell us about some Western Carolina football or something like that. <laughs> some good old catamount, some good old catamount football. No, well, you know, just for the audience, um, you guys obviously know um, showed up to Roger Bacon High School in Cincinnati from Kentucky in uh, 2015. Graduated in, in 2017. I uh, accepted a Division One full scholarship. I went to Western Carolina in Cullowee, North Carolina. And for those who don't know where the hell Cullowee is, it's near Asheville, about two and a half hours away from Raleigh, um, about three and a half hours away from the Greensboro area, if anybody's familiar with that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I was redshirted my freshman year. Um, I was really fat. I was really slow and I sucked at football. Uh, I was not ready to play. So I got redshirted and then I came in. Um, I was a second string offensive lineman my redshirt freshman year. Then I started my um, soft, my redshirt, my redshirt sophomore and my redshirt junior year. Um, but then unfortunately, uh, due to powers above, I actually wound up blowing my knee out. Um, I had, I'd, I'd have some some previous knee injuries when I was in uh, grade school, middle school, a uh, couple tweaks in high school, but nothing that would prevent me from playing college football. But then once I got to college, I had uh, two knee surgeries that unfortunately were, it was kind of that eye-opening moment that was like, okay, hey, my, there, there's something not right with my knee. I need to see, yeah, let me go see my doctor. So I came home. Um, and, and my doctor in Cincinnati, he told me, he was like, if you want to walk when you're 30 years old and you want to play with your kids and you want to be able to bend down and not walk with a walker or a cane, you'll stop playing football. And that was, uh, that was a moment where it was like, holy shit, everything that I've known for the past five years from, you know, starting at Roger Bacon playing football to to now and, and that whole dream of playing division one college football on a scholarship and being that division one athlete that's now coming to a screeching halt um, and, and you know and to be completely honest with you I mean it was it was terrifying it, it was really hard because I found myself in a pretty you know dark hole because when you know something for so long and that's been kind of your identity you know I, I wouldn't say that football was my entire identity my entire life but to have that identity as a college athlete and to kind of have that just ripped away, uh, it, was, it, it, was, it was pretty hard. Um, but I will say that everything happens for a reason. I'm a absolutely 100% firm believer in that because with that, um, I, I had the opportunity to keep my scholarship, which was an absolute blessing in itself. Uh, then I was, I was transitioning into a student coach. So I was the assistant offensive line coach for Western Carolina, Western Carolina University. Um, did that for a year. It was a great experience. Um, I thought about becoming a GA, thought about getting into coaching, but I just wasn't truly passionate about coaching. I knew that television was what I wanted to do. And that's when COVID came, COVID hit. And I was sitting in my door or in my apartment at the time and in Cullowee, North Carolina. And I was filling out my schedule because athletes had, they, they had first dibs to all the classes. And I was emailing back and forth with, with my advisor and we had all my classes set up and he, he hit me back. He said, you've got to do an internship. And I was like, well, how in the hell am I going to do an internship in the middle of COVID? And he was like, well, you know, let me call around call, call your people. I'll call my people. Then we'll get back together. You know, your people call my people, my people call your people type of deal. And well, I knew that we had an ESPN station on campus because that's what it was ESPN three. We did, they did, they broadcast all the football games on ESPN plus um, all the men's and women's basketball games, the softball games, the baseball games, the volleyball games, basically any kind of NCAA regulated sport that we had on campus. It was broadcasted through this uh, broadcast center on campus. Well, I didn't know anybody. The only person that I knew that was even associated with that was the uh, director of media operations, and his name is Daniel Hooker. 
uh, for WCU. He's, he's still there. He's a, uh, an incredible individual. I, I love that guy to death. He's helped me so much in my entire career. Um, actually, one of my references for WWE. But I, I approached him and, I, you know, hey, is there anything that I can do kind of in the realm of the sports media? What is there something that I can do here to get some of these credits? And he was like, yeah, you know, let's, let's talk about it. What do you want to do? How do you, you know, wh- what do you want to work in? How do you want to do this? What, what do you think would work for you? So then I just had that conversation of, you know, I really want to work in television. I, I really want to be a part of in, in sports television, sports media. And he said, well, you know, how about this? Let's go meet our, uh, our director of operations for the ESPN station. I said, well, that'd be great. Um, and that day I actually wound up, I met him. Uh, name is Noah Sauter. To, one, to, to this day, credit him to where I am because of all the help and the guidance that, that, that he gave me. But we had a conversation. He was like, yeah, we always need help. We could always, we could use you here. Um, and we don't know what you're going to do yet, but you're going to be working in, in television. And I said, well, shit, that's great. I love it. Um, and I started my internship. And then with that internship, I was interning with ESPN. Um, I would commute sometimes to Charlotte and the Charlotte office. Uh, I, I would do uh, some kind of just normal, normal work, nothing crazy, but I would sit, I do a lot of watching and I would bring that back and I would go back and forth from Cullowee to Charlotte, Charlotte to Cullowee. And when I did the live productions on Cullowee, I actually was the graphics operator. So when you guys watch sports television or, you know, basketball games, football games, even WWE, there's always graphics that pop up on your screen. You know, it's, it's the name of somebody or it's, you know, the, the, the score at the bottom of the screen. That's what I did. I, I was the graphics operator for men's and women's basketball, baseball, softball. And I actually did a couple of football games for the Catamounts. And that was after post COVID. Well, no, excuse me. It was during, it was still during COVID, but it was, um, I had talked to my head coach at the time and I said, you know, hey, I'm not going to be able to work as a coach this season, which was my senior year, because I need this internship and I have to graduate. And he was like, yep, that's totally fine. I get it because he wanted to get me off the roster, kind of ASAP, not in a bad way, but it was just a sense of we're still paying for your school. So we want you to be able to, you know, get the hell out of here so we can give it to somebody else who, who can play, which I totally understood. Um, but so then I wound up working for ESPN. Uh, I did graphics for ESPN. I did a lot of post-production work, a lot of editing, um, a lot of uh, Adobe Premiere Pro editing. I did a lot of stuff for our in-house elements, like our graphics for in-house on the Jumbotron that we had. I made volleyball graphics, men's and women's basketball graphics. Um, And then I would actually work directly with our ESPN partner in Charlotte. And I would be on the phone with them during each broadcast, asking them for certain types of graphic packages that I needed so you know I'd be on the phone with them that they have a men's basketball game and I'd say okay hey I need you to send me xyz they send it from Charlotte I would get it I would ingest it and then I would make everything that we were going to do for the show for the for, uh, excuse me for the game we did it and that was what I did for my entire senior year of college uh, then I graduated came back to Cincinnati this is still in the heart of COVID um, there was not really a lot sports television was not really happening it was, we were coming off the year of NFL not being in season. It was going to be the first season back from COVID. And I didn't really know what I was going to do. I, so I took a bouncing job. I was working at Ryan Geist Brewery in Cincinnati. 
did that for, you know, like six months. And then I finally got a call from CBS Sports and it was for a broadcast associate position um, that was actually working, that, that was a travel broadcast associate that would travel to um, the affiliate of CBS Sports, which would be CBS Sports Network and then CBS Sports itself. So there were two opportunities available. There was the CBS Sports Network for college football, and then there was CBS Sports itself who did NFL football, those one o'clock and four o'clock games on Sundays. Um, I was a top three candidate, um, didn't get the job, wasn't offered the position. I was totally bummed about that because like I've already kind of talked about in the show is that that was, CBS was my, it was my dream company. And that was what I was set on. Well, then not even a week later, I get an email from one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the producers who I interviewed with for that job that said that there was an opportunity to be a New York-based broadcast associate that was going to deal with mostly in research. And I said, well, you know what? It's my, it's, it's my time to get my foot in the door at CBS, show them, show them what I can do, show them what I'm worth. And I took that job, moved to New York, um, was there for about five months. And then, like I kind of talked about earlier, unfortunately, Omicron came, uh, laid off, came back to Cincinnati, and that's how I got involved with WWE. But that's that, that's kind of a kind of a quick synopsis of kind of you know the high school, college, and then post graduation for me. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, telling me all that. Uh, that's great to hear. Great to hear that story, man. I'm, I, I, I'm as one of your best friends, man. I'm I'm glad that you ended up working for WWE. It, it couldn't happen to a better guy. But before uh, before I we end it here. Uh, I I would like to know uh, just off the top of your head, uh, what are the main differences between working for CBS and ESPN and WWE? Hmm, the main differences. Well, the the first one that that probably hits my mind is all the travel. Um, I, you know, I kind of hit on it that, that I'm in I'm in three to four different cities every single week. Um, I'm about to hit platinum medallion with with Delta, which is their second lowest or the the second highest uh, uh, status for Delta, and that and that just goes to show you about you know I've almost taken a hundred flights in the six months I've been doing this. So there's a, there's a lot of air travel, a lot of bus travel, a lot of Ubers, a lot of hotels, and a lot of time away from home. And some, you know, that's that's the biggest difference from CVS was because, yes, even though I was not based in Cincinnati, you know, not quote unquote home, I was still away. But every night I still slept in the same bed when I was at CVS. I stayed, you know, I was in New York. I knew, you know, I knew how I left the apartment was going to how it was going to be how I how I left it when I came back. But here at WWE with with all the travel is that it's it's go, 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 go. And every single second that I can be in my bed in my apartment in Cincinnati, it's that's like a it, it's golden and it's just it's absolutely precious. Um, that's that's the first difference that that comes to mind. But then second is that WWE, they do things a very specific way. Um, they've they, they've done things for a certain way for a long time, and that's how it's gonna be. And the adjustment period of, okay, CBS did things this way, WWE does things this way. So I think that the, the biggest difference is just kind of the aspect and the elements. And, and some of those I could get into if you guys wanted to, some of them not so much just for, you know, privacy reasons and everything like, like, like that. But I just learning 
the way that, that WWE does things compared to ESPN and CBS and getting myself acclim- you know, acclimated to that, I think that would be the, 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 the two biggest differences that I've noticed so far. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. This is really big for Glick and I. Uh, doing a podcast is something I've always wanted to do. I'm sure it's something Glick's always wanted, has always wanted to do. And I, I couldn't honestly think of anyone better to have on our, our very first episode than you. I mean, the, the the path that you've taken from, you know, transferring into Roger Bacon, being being uh, just regular, regular old Clark to us, and playing football, everyone knew you as a football player. I, I don't think anyone at Roger Bacon really viewed you as the guy who is one day going to work for WWE or one day is going to be a producer of some sort. I always viewed you as Clark's going to go to Division One football and he's going to just run the show there. But I, I think you have one of the coolest stories uh, out of anybody I know, just your your pathway from high school to college to post-college where you're, you're coach, well, not post-college, but where you're coaching and then transitioning into po- your post-college life dealing with COVID and all these other situations and all these other opportunities that you may not have gotten in the past, but that one big one where WWE reached out to you and then now you've taken that opportunity by the throat and you've gotten everything out of it that you wanted to get. And I, I think that's just an very, that, that's just a very astonishing story and it couldn't happen to a better guy. But uh, I, 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 I want to thank you for coming on this show that th- this is really big for us. And uh, I, I can't wait to have you back on in the future. I don't know when that'll be. It might be in the next couple episodes, but man, you're a great speaker and you've got a lot to say. And me and Glick are very grateful for the fact that you came on and you're doing this for us. Guys couldn't do it for two better people. Uh, happy to be able to call you both friends. If not, you know, then best friends, but you know, guys, nothing but the best of luck in the podcast. Hopefully that, you know, it, like I said earlier in the very beginning, hopefully it becomes the biggest podcast and hopefully that, you know, I get to come back on it at some point, you know, and, and instead of just, you know, 10, 15 followers, you guys got 15 million, 10 million followers. And hopefully that can be another platform that I get to come on and talk more wrestling and talk, you know, just talk more bullshit with you guys. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. We're going to go back into a quick commercial break and then we're going to go straight into Glick's Picks. One of my favorite segments that is going to be a tradition on this show. We're going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about the best odds. And who better to do it than Alex Glick himself? Mean G. Thank you. And we'll be right back after this commercial break. Speed. Charisma. Hard-hitting action. Jaw-dropping plays. It's Telerik. It's Gorman. It's D-Town's Kingdom. It's Hall of Fame coach Cudarella. This is the Hallway Hockey League. This is the HHL. Welcome back to the Jordan Cooter Show. Thank you, Clark Wilhoit, for coming on to the show. However, we're going to have to move on. Here at the top of the hour, introducing our newest segment, Glick's Picks. My co-host, Alex Glick, will give you his sports pick of the week before we dive into the SummerSlam card. Mean G, take it away. So for my first pick, I have George Russell winning his first ever Formula One Grand Prix, followed by a P2 finish from Charles Leclerc and a P3 finish from the Sir Lewis Hamilton. Taking it back to the States, I have the Yankees taking the series over the Mariners this week, and I have FC Cincinnati beating Philly. Going back over to England, I have Liverpool beating Fulham, Chelsea over Everton. I have Tottenham going over the Southampton. And I have Leeds over the Wolves. I also have Brighton beating United and Manchester City 
winning against West Ham. Taking it back to Nashville, however, and I know you'd like to talk about this more, I have Austin Theory becoming the new WWE Undisputed Universal Champion. Yeah, before we get into Austin Theory, let's go through this match card. I want to hear who you think is going to win each match and why. First match, we got Logan Paul versus The Miz. You know, I think Logan carries a lot of momentum. Uh, he's somebody that's an experienced fighter. He's uh, participated in a few boxing matches in his time, and I think The Miz might be on his way out of the WWE, so I have Logan Paul winning this one. Next, we got Liv Morgan versus Ronda Rousey. I think all the moments on Liv Morgan's side. There's really no need for an explanation for this one. It's going to be an easy win for Liv. We love Liv Morgan. Bobby Lashley versus Theory for the United States Championship. Unfortunately, I think that Theory loses out on the United States Championship, but I think he comes around later and gets a little bit of a better prize. I'd have to agree with you. If uh, Theory pulls this off, becomes the universal champ undisputed universal champion, I should say, that'll mean he'll hold two belts. And if he wins his match against Lashley, he'll have the WWE United States Championship as well. I just don't see WWE giving him three belts to use. Next up, we got the man, Pat McAfee versus Happy Corbin in a regular singles match. Who do you think is winning that one? You got to go with McAfee. There's no other – there's just no other choice here. He's going to be laying the smack down on people. We got the Mysterios versus the Judgment Day and a no disqualification tag team match. Now, this one's very interesting to me, and I really think it could go either way. But personally, I think the Judgment Day have a little bit more momentum going into this pay-per-view, so I'm going to go with them. Now, I want to hear your input on this. Do you think Edge returns tonight? I will say I think there's a good chance. I may or may not have heard a couple rumors going around, but, you know, we'll save it and we'll see how it goes. Yes, I, I see a lot of people think The Fiend is returning tonight. However, I think the segments WWE has been doing lately is all about uh, is all about Edge. So next match, we got The Usos versus The Street Profits for the universe, or excuse me, the Unified Tag Team Championships. Now, I personally would love for the Street Profits to win this. You know, they got the hometown guy on the team. I just want them, I want to see them succeed. But at the same time, I just, I really do think it takes the title, and I don't see them taking more than one set of titles away from that table right now. I just think that they're too, they're too powerful right now to have them lose all the way out in one pay-per-view. For the WWE Raw Women's Championship, we have Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch. I think this is an easy Bianca Belair win. I, I, I like Becky a lot, but it's, it's Bianca's time right now. Our final match, we have the WWE Undisputed Universal Champion, Roman Reigns, led by his manager, Paul Heyman, the Tribal Chief. Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar, the Beast. I, Me personally, I see Roman Reigns winning this. However, I see him winning it in theory, cashing in on him, leading to, leading to a triple threat match at Clash of the Castle with Drew McIntyre, Roman Reigns, and Austin Theory. However, now that I'm saying that, I believe Brock Lesnar will also be added to that match somehow. See, I see no, no front winner from this match. I see something very similar to what Seth Rollins did all those years ago at Mania. I see... Brock and Roman taking each other, and I see Theory taking the opportunity to cash in. And then, like you said, at the next big pay-per-view, I think it will be a triple or maybe a four-person uh, four match for the title. That would be pretty cool to see a fatal four-way. That is the show, ladies and gentlemen. 
I would like to ask you guys to tune in next week when Drew Bradley joins the show to discuss the 2022 Earlham Baseball Championship season. He'll give us his story from becoming unknown catcher to one of the best hitters in all of NCAA baseball. Uh, tune in. We, we want to thank you for joining our show. Glick, do you have any final things you'd like to say before we go off the air? No, I don't. I hope everybody has a good week. Make sure you get out there, watch some of the sports. If you're a betting man, don't listen to me. I would like to thank you guys and tune in next week, next Sunday, for the Jordan Cooter Show presents Sunday Night Special. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.